I feel a privilege to be able to bring God's word to you this morning as we're doing a series on marriage. We're calling it the mystery of marriage. And you know, the foundations of marriage are being questioned in these days. There's questions about uh, what's the purpose of marriage? How is this thing supposed to operate? Who is marriage for? And many people are speaking into it, and there's actually a lot of confusion right now in our culture regarding marriage. And those who are speaking into it uh, from our culture have got a new way of looking at truth in this time, and they don't believe truth is something outside of themselves that you need to discover. They believe truth is something that's personal inside that we create. And so we create our own truth out of our own feelings and our own thoughts and our own experiences. And many like that are speaking into it, many different voices and much confusion about what is this whole thing marriage about? Now we as Christians, we believe the truth is something that is outside of ourselves. Matter of fact, God is truth and he's revealed to us his truth in his word. So we believe the truth about marriage is something that we need to go outside of ourselves to discover and to find. God is the creator of male and female, and God is the creator of institution of marriage. And so we need to look to God in his word and what he says about what is the purpose of marriage, how is marriage supposed to operate, and who is marriage for? So this morning, we're going to go back to the original marriage with Adam and Eve. <clears throat> and we're going to take a look and see just, I can't believe it, I just swallowed and went down the wrong thing, so give me a second to clear up here. <laughs> and by the way, Aaron, Christy, and kids, good to see you. Uh, the Hemphills are in, in uh, six months actually, and so hopefully God will refresh and renew you guys during this time. Great to see you. Um, where was I? We're going to talk about the original marriage. And we're going to take a look at what God has built into that. Because in that original marriage, right into the DNA of marriage, God has built some things that are still true today. And if we don't do it that way, we only hurt ourselves as we violate God's original design. So we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 2. Today should be very easy to find in your Bibles if you're new to the Bible. You open up the Bible, you got the index, and then you got the book of Genesis. We're going to start in the second chapter. And to give you a little context, uh, the second chapter uh, is really, well, let me tell you what, the first chapter of Genesis takes a look at creation from a spaceship. You know, it's way up there in the skies and looking down and we see these six days of creation and what God does. Well, Genesis 2 is like getting in a helicopter and going back and revisiting the sixth day of creation. That's the day that God created male and female as well as the institution of marriage. And before them, he even created uh, all the animals that walk on this planet. So in the sixth day, we're gonna take a closer look at that day in Genesis chapter two as we learn some lessons about marriage from it. 
Here's the structure of this passage. It's very simple. If we look at, matter of fact, look at Genesis 2, verse 18. Keep that up there a second, Pete. It says this. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. At this point, man was created. And he's not talking about the loneliness. He's not talking about the emotion of loneliness there. He's talking about the reality of man being in isolation by himself and not alone. And so he says it's not good. So the whole rest of this passage and the rest of this chapter explains God's solution to man's problem of being alone. So he states the problem of aloneness in verse 18. Then we see God's solution is a suitable helper. So he goes on a search for a suitable helper in verses 19 and 20. Couldn't find one. So God created a suitable helper in verses 21 to 23. And out of that, God created the institution of marriage in verse 24. Basically, that's what we're going to see today. And that's what we're going to look at. Let me read it to help us get familiar with the text. Starting in verse 18. Amen, I'm glad to hear somebody's excited about it. <laughs> By the end, may we all be screaming out to the glory. And you know what, if we don't, Jesus said the rocks will. So we don't want the bricks this morning screaming out to Jesus, we want the people of God. So thank you, whoever you were up there screaming out to lead us in worship to the Lord. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field. Now he's going back again, we're at day six. And we see it earlier in the day, in day six, God had created all the animals out of the ground. And he's referring back to that. Now as we look at that, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Remember man's problem? Aloneness. God's solution? A suitable helper. All the creation that has been uh, up to that point, yet no, the dog is not man's best friend. He's not the suitable helper for a man. So in verse 21, this is what God did. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he has taken from the man and brought her to the man. Let me stop there. I just, I was impressed this morning with God's goodness and grace. So grateful we were able to sing about that. You know, grace is basically, it's all from God and nothing from me. Is there anything that's more gracious than when somebody's asleep and God does something in their behalf? The Lord gives to his beloved even in their sleep. And here's man sleeping, and God brings in the most amazing gift that he's ever given to man outside of Jesus, and he creates the woman. 
And I couldn't help but think of this the other time when man was, we see here Adam was in a deep sleep. The other time man was in a deep sleep, that was Abraham. His name was Abram at that time. And God put him in a deep sleep. And during that time, God made a covenant that drives what God is doing throughout time into eternity with man. It's amazing, God's grace and our need to stop trying real hard to make this Christian life happen and rely upon God who can even give to us in his sleep to do things we can never do. The two most amazing things I think in scripture, the creation of woman and the covenant he made with Abraham were given to man when he was in a deep sleep. And so now that God created woman, listen to what he says. Earlier in the chapter, we saw man created from dust. We saw a woman created from man's rib. And then he says this, and I'm gonna read it the way that I learned it in Hebrew. I had a Hebrew professor who he really is, still is, and was one of the leading scholars at that time, Dr. Alan Ross in Hebrew. And he said, this is what the Hebrew text actually reads like. After God brought the woman to the man, the man said, wow. That's the emphasis. Now, the word isn't there, but the structure of the Hebrew somehow, he said, that's what, the man's response was, wow. And I gotta be honest with you, baby girl, I still go, wow, when I see, I do. But you know what, it's not just, hey, you know, guys, it's not me, and it's not Kim, some kind of special woman she is to me. I trust that every husband still feels, wow. Uh, you know, so many times I'm out reading my Bible in the morning, and Kim comes walking out of the room. The sleep is still in her eyes. She's dressed to the nines in her pajamas. And the first thing when I see my heart just goes, wow. I'm just speaking, ladies, for what I trust many of the men in this room feel when they see their wives. That's what Adam, when he first saw his woman, he went, wow. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. When we look at this text, we learn that woman was created to be the perfect fit. And man is the perfect fit for woman, for each other, to provide what the other one lacks in life. That's really why God created woman. Suitable, the word suitable is an interesting word. It means to a fit. Kind of like, you know, something that is made, you know, I got a hand and there's gloves that are made specifically to fit my hand. You follow me? You got your hand. They're fit for one another. They're, they're a counterpart when we're dancing. You know, I'll move to the right with a foot. And guess what? Kim moves the same way, but it's to the left with her left. And so there's a counterpart as we walk together and do the dance of marriage together. We're the complement to one another. That's what this word means. We correspond to one another. We answer what the other one needs. 
We are just right for, we harmonize perfectly. That's what God designed for man to work with his aloneness. He needed a suitable helper, someone who is different enough to supply what he needs, but similar enough to be able to connect and make that need work. You follow me? So here it is, man. You know, here's man's strengths, and let's say these holes are man's weaknesses. Here's woman, here's her strengths, here's her weaknesses. Well, guess what? God created man and woman as the perfect fit for one another to supply what the other one lacks so that they can be there to walk in life supplying for each other what the other one is weak in or lacks. That's what it means to be a suitable helper. God wanted to create for man someone who was different, but someone that could be similar enough to be able to provide those needs that he has in his life. And then you say he's a, she's a suitable helper. Now, I want to take the cultural steroids out of that word. There's two words that our culture maybe started with a feminist movement, I don't know, they put into the word helper and submission, which I'll talk about next week. But um, our culture has jacked that up, taken it out of context, and has caused people and even Christians to get on steroids when they hear the word helper or submission. Are you telling me I'm just the man's helper? Am I supposed to go get a screwdriver and a lemonade and bring back a liverwurst sandwich with mayonnaise and cucumbers for him while he does the real thing? I mean, that's kind of the feeling that, that I hear from some women, even Christian women, as they get angry and offended at the idea of being a helper. Well, let me tell you something about the word helper here. If you take out your Hebrew concordance and look at every use of the word, I think it's 18 or 19 times. A number of those times it's used of God helping man or Israel. Now, does that sound like an inferior? Does that sound like a lesser work to you? No, it's man needs help. Man needs an assistant. Man has got responsibilities that God has given him and he needs somebody to walk with him that can provide what he can't bring to the table himself so that he can walk with God in the way God designed him to walk. So I want to encourage you, if you're one of those who gets jacked up, I got to tell you something. I say this humbly. You're influenced more by the culture than you are the Word of God. God's Word says a helper is not an inferior. It's a significant word. Because when I look, I, you know how many times I look to God for help a day? <laughs> You know how many times I look to Kim and Kim looks to me, we need help in this world. If you think you can do it alone, you're, you're fooled. And God has created woman as that suitable helper. What does man need help for, by the way? Well, we see earlier in chapter two that man was given the garden to cultivate before woman was created. And he was given a command from God that he could eat from any tree, but there was one in particular he couldn't eat from. So he had responsibilities given to him. God, but look back at chapter one. I want, to, I want you to see something. Verse 26. 
in chapter 1. Now remember, what I tell you, chapter 1 is the, uh, looking at it from a spaceship, the six days of creation. We're in the sixth day now, in verse 25, God had created the animals and every creeping thing on the ground. And then he says this, then God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, by the way, we see the first hint of the Trinity right there when he says God and our. And let them, plural, by the way, they didn't just let man, let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. Really, we should be saying God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. When he's speaking to man here in this passage, he's speaking to them, male and female, together. Obviously, this part of it comes in after we saw the end of chapter two here where God created woman and now man and woman on this sixth day are still there and God is speaking to both of them and he's saying, let them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. One thing I like about that passage, it saves me from my bad Chicago verbiage of calling everybody man. So many of you ladies have been so gracious. Hey, hey, man. And you know what? I'll, I'll claim the Hebrew mankind there of Genesis 1. But uh, it's just a bad Chicago slang habit. But this is an important passage for us to see this. Man and woman have been created absolutely equal to the core of their being in dignity and in personhood. They're absolutely equal. But when it comes to our function, we're gloriously different. God made for man someone who was absolutely equal to him in his personhood and dignity, but who was gloriously, I want to, we're gloriously different. Our culture is trying to wash away the differences and try to downplay some of them. God has created man and woman in his image. That's a good thing. We're different on purpose. We're different by design. And we are absolutely equal in our being and our dignity, but we're gloriously different for a purpose. And that's what we learn right here when we look at the first marriage. And then out of that, then we see that God created woman because man had this problem of aloneness. God created woman as a suitable helper so that now the two could supply what the other one lacks as they walk with the responsibilities that God's given them to life together. Then he says this in verse 24. Let me read verse 23 again to keep it in context. The man said, wow, <laughs> this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
For this reason. For what reason? Now he's going to tell us why marriage was created, by the way. For this reason, he's going back for the reason that woman is the suitable helper for man and that she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Two absolutely equal people who are gloriously different coming together to form one flesh. It's interesting that word one flesh, when you study it in scripture, in the Old Testament particularly here, it's kind of talking about one new relational family unit as they leave this deep intimate relationship of mom and dad to create a new intimate relationship of husband and wife. It's a whole new uh, family unit that is created. It's a one flesh, your flesh or my flesh, bone of my bone. You see that in scripture as they're talking to their relatives. And so now there's a new relationship, but we learn in Ephesians 5, which we'll see in the next couple weeks, not next week, but the week after, one flesh is there used to talk about the idea of oneness and unity. And it uses the head and the body as the illustration as one. You know, the, the head is one, the body is another, but the two are one. And so what he's saying here is there is a unity, a oneness of blending together of two lives that are absolutely equal but gloriously different coming together in unity as one. Now, unity is not like, as we'll see in the Olympics here pretty soon, synchronized swimming. You know, it means everybody's doing the same thing the same way. Uh, that, that's not what unity is. Unity is about people who are different coming together in harmony to move together and blend together as one. It's probably more accurate to take a, a look at singing and you got people with different voices and uh, different things they bring to the table with that, but when they sing together, they come together beautifully. It's not they both sing at the same way or the same level. I'm revealing how intelligent I am about music. I don't know what to call all those things, but you get the point. You know, they, they, it's not two people coming and singing like, it's a person who sings like this and a person who sings like this, but when they come together, it's better than any time one or two that do it the same way, you can do it. That's what marriage is. He's blending together two absolutely equal people who are gloriously different to bring together their life as one, to live as one flesh in harmony, to carry out the responsibilities and the privileges that God has given to them. You know, let, let, me, let me just say one thing. This is a side note I, I just feel led to say because I've seen it. It's a beautiful picture of how important it is to follow God's way. How do we start to blend our lives together as one? He tells us in this passage. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined or cleaved to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see, unity in marriage comes when there's a leaving from one relationship 
and a cleaving. By the way, that word cleave there, it, the best way I can illustrate is like super glue. It's kind of like all of a sudden, you know, you've left. It isn't Velcro where we kind of come and go and take it on and off. No, in marriage, when, when you cleave or you're joined, it's like super glue that has come together and, and now holds you together in that relationship. This is what I want to say because I've seen it. And I just got to say it out loud because I don't know who it applies to. But in particular, I, I noticed this. For this reason, a man... A man shall leave his father and his mother. I don't know if the significance, why he doesn't say maybe a, a man and a woman, but he, he talks about a man. And by the way, this is the unique word for a male. Here, this isn't the mankind word. This is a, the, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be stuck to his wife like superglue. This is what I want to say because I've seen it too often. I have seen men who have not had the ability to emotionally leave their families. And they're still tied into their families and they are still influenced by their upbringing for whatever reasons it is. It could be a hundred different reasons. And they fail to stick to their wife like glue because they're so emotionally influenced by their family, they're more concerned about what their family thinks than what their wife thinks. And often, guys, I've seen this happen too often, because the man fails to stand up for and defend his wife even against his own family. Many marriages have been hurt. Many women have been crushed. Because a man sits there and lets the other family abuse his wife. And because he's so emotionally tied into his family and is too weak to be able to stand up for his wife and take the place and say, that's not the way we do it here. <laughs> you guys can do it with each other that way, but you're not going to do that with me and my family that way. And guys, I'm just going to tell you what, I've seen marriages damaged. I've seen women deeply hurt. I've actually seen some marriages end because of this. Guys, I'm speaking to men now. And you know, I'm going to have some times I'll be speaking directly to men, directly to women. You just worry about doing your verse. Let the woman worry about her verse. The man worry about his verse. Men, if this is a struggle for you, it's time. Save your marriage. Protect your marriage. Stick to your wife like glue. She is a priority over your family of origin. I don't know what emotional hooks have gotten into you to cause you to somehow be more concerned and fearful of your family than you are respectful and loving your wife and defend your wife if necessary. I hope it's never necessary, but unfortunately, sometimes it is. And when you don't, guys, I'm just telling you, when you break God's word, it isn't somehow that I'm going to get spanked by God. Here's the, here's the problem with disobedience. I hurt myself. <laughs> I've just left the wisest way of living, and now I'm hurting myself. It isn't that God's going to spank me because I didn't do it. God's the loving father. God, this is the way you do it. This is the way it's got to be done. Do it this way, you'll be blessed. And when they don't, they just hurt themselves. They hurt their marriage. What do we find in Ephesians 5? When a man doesn't love his wife like his own body, he's just hurting himself. When he loves his own wife, he's going to be blessed in return. It's like loving yourself. 
But guys, if you don't, uh, you know, this wasn't supposed to be my sermon this morning. I guess I've turned this direction. But if this is a reality in your relationship, men, repent. Seek Jesus. Men, your top priority relationship is your wife, not your parents, not your brothers and sisters, not your family. So anyhow, that's the purpose of marriage. The two becoming one. <laughs> Blending these two lives that are absolutely equal and gloriously different together is one. And the way we do it is by leaving our family of origin and cleaving to our mate. And I just want to close by illustrating this uh, regarding our differences. Suitable helper. Um, absolutely equal, gloriously different. God designed our differences according to this passage to be a blessing to supply what we lack. Satan uses our differences to create conflict and frustration and division. Our differences have been designed to be a blessing. And we need to learn to appreciate and how to tap into and seek after that place where my mate is different than me in order to help our marriage be better and to better navigate this life. You know, Kim and I are as different as they come. Uh, we are different in so many ways. I, I mean, I, I learned this so quick. We're even different all the way down to portion sizes of food. I learned that in the first week of marriage, right, baby? Remember that? I was a real good husband for about three days because, okay, I guess. But, you know, she came from a family that was like seven girls, six girls, one boy. So they ate like this, you know. They had all those girl portions. Man, I came from four boys and a girl at the end, so I had the man portions. And I'll tell you what, man, for the first three or four days, I said, well, I'm a good husband, you know, thank you, baby. Even though I was starving inside and I really thought I was going to die. <laughs> About the fourth day, I finally, I flipped. I said, baby, this isn't going to work. This is not going to work. We got to do something different here. Now, I should have stuck to those portions at the start. I get it. <laughs> you don't have to say it. But that was, you know, we were different to the core in everything. I mean, Kim, Kim we're very different, aren't we, baby? And uh, she's not sure what's coming, so she's mildly and comfortly. <laughs> We're very different in the way we think. I'm a very logical thinker, analytical. I mean, I'm going to take all that stuff, and I'm gonna, it's going to go through a grid, and I'm going to work it over. And very theoretical, very theory, almost more classroom level, and, you know, you're kind of like that. And I'm an internal processor where, you know, I quietly inside myself do all this. Now, Kim is very different than me. Kim, you're, Kim is a logical thinker as well. But she's more intuitive. As you kind of put that, there, there's a lot of intuitiveness that comes into it. She is very practical. I mean, when I, I, I can deal with a passage and I'm like, okay, I got what it says and I got it up here in the theory in the classroom. Baby, help me. What does this mean to anybody's life? You know, she's like, just like that. Boom, 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 boom. You know, it, it, she's a practical thinker. And she's an external processor. 
And that was a hard thing for me to learn. Because you know what that means with an external process? That means your first thought you say out loud. And the whole time that you're trying to figure this thing out, you're speaking it out loud to the people who are with you. Now, one of the problems with that is you don't know when they're looking for an answer or not. <laughs> and often I certainly at the wrong time would give answers to thinking that in my mind would have privately been hidden and she only hears the end product. I heard Kim from the beginning. I'm like, what? You gotta be kidding me. You know, like, but you know, that's where I was at the beginning. But nobody heard it because you know, I had to go through all the processes. She just does all her processes out loud. So we're very different in the way we think. And ladies, I told you, you may want to save a stone until it's more useful. This may be the point you want to use. I only gave you one stone, and I'd like to change it today to a tomato because they don't hurt as much. This may be where you want to use it. I'm just going to be radically honest with you. I felt that my way of thinking was superior to Kim's, and I felt that my purpose in marriage was to help Kim learn to think like me. Do you ladies love that, man? I mean, uh, you want to stop the sermon now and take me out to the parking lot. <laughs> that's really where I was. This poor girl needs help. And I did, God put me here to help her to learn to think in a whole new superior way. As you might imagine, that certainly brought some frustrations into our relationship and some tensions along the way. But over time, I'll tell you what, God showed me so many times that this logical, analytical, theoretical, internal processor came up with the wrong conclusion, and what Kim came up with was right. And I should have listened to her, and I should have put it in my processing. And over time, I learned that her thinking is not inferior, it's different. It's not only different, God gave that to me as a gift through Kim to help me be better. And I needed to learn how to tap into that, how to appreciate it, how to respect it. And now I even seek it and say, baby, what do you think about this? And while she'll think very different about it, you know what? She'll bring in something I got to put into the hopper. And because guess what? Now the places where Pat had holes in his thinking, Kim's bringing in some other stuff to help fill that in. And now I can make a better decision because I've learned how to tap into the gift of differences and blessing that God has brought to me. So guys, that's just one area. There's hundreds of areas where we're gloriously different. Let me, because every one of those is designed to be a blessing. Let me give you a different example. First of all, be careful here not to do stereotypes. All women are like this and all men are like that. It's not true. I'm reading a book right now. I'm going to actually share with you three books next week that I'm reading. And he talks about the differences between men and women. And as I'm reading, I'm saying to Kim, you know what? I see some of the things that really relate more to women are relating to me. There's some things that are typical of a man that kind of relate to Kim a little bit more. We're all unique. And so let's get rid of the stereotype talk here. I'm not talking about that. As Kim said, what, two weeks ago, we got to study our mate. Do we know our mate? 
Do we know who they are? Do we know their differences? Do we know these gifts of differences that God has given to me to bless me, to make our relationship better? Personality. There's personality differences. There's different strengths and weaknesses. There's different energy levels. There's different likes and dislikes. Think about our history, and Kim, you said this again a couple weeks ago. We all have a one-of-a-kind story where we're living out a life that has never been lived in the history of mankind. We're all unique, and we're all living out a unique life and a unique story, and we need to begin to study and know the uniquenesses of my mate's life and story of their personality, their weaknesses. And how about the family impact? Because remember, we're supposed to break away, leave, cleave, start my own new thing. And so many of us have got ways we've been influenced when it comes to the way we handle money, the way we handle conflict, the way we have attitudes towards sex, the the way we believe spiritually and religiously, uh, the way we handle friends, recreations, all these things. Now we're starting to say, wow, there are a lot of places we're different. And every one of those is designed to be a blessing from God to enrich us personally in our marriage to help us to bring greater glory to him and blessing to others. You see, when we first begin to get married and we encounter these differences, it's kind of like a rafting trip. Many of you have been to Silver Birch before and you get on the raft and you get it to start and the river's just moving slow and mild. You sit back like this, oh, this is cool, man, and get in the suntan or not. And then all of a sudden, there's a place where two rivers merge. And they've been getting stronger and stronger. Now all of a sudden, man, there is turbulence. And you're grabbing onto that thing and holding it because if those rivers are moving strong because there's been a lot of rain, all of a sudden you're like, whoa, and you're all over the place. And this thing's ready to throw you and some rafts flip over and I know the Olsons and my kids and Lesher, Don Lesher, remember our trip in Montana where unbelievable, I mean, we're talking about major rivers coming down mountains and we hit some turbulence that was, we almost lost some lives. Actually, we did lose one life of a mother who had a baby. Uh, we had people that were, we were fishing out of the water for the next 45 minutes. It was that serious. And some marriages feel like that. The turbulence of two mighty rivers coming together that are very different and very powerful and they merge. But guess what happens? After these rivers have been running for a while together, they form one new, mightier, more powerful river than either one of them was by themselves. That's what God wants to do with our marriages. When we learn to navigate these differences and bring them together as blessings, and now we start with these two mighty rivers of people coming together and learning to benefit, guess what? We become one new, mightier couple who come together, who make a mightier impact for the glory of God, for the blessing of each other, for the blessing of people around us, because we've learned to navigate the differences that God designed to be blessings. So if you struggle, this is where I want to leave you today. 
First of all, reframe your differences. Early on, what I say, my frame about Kim's different way of thinking, this is inferior, she needs help, and all that kind of thing, guess what? To reframe that, say, you know what, God, you brought this in to be a blessing to me. Yes, it is different, but she's gloriously equal to me. She's just different, and you designed that difference to be a blessing to me. We need to reframe our differences rather than thinking of something that is bad, is dividing us, this has got to change. We need to learn to embrace and kiss those differences and say, God, thank you for this gift. So the first thing we gotta do is reframe the way we think about our differences when it comes to our mate. Second of all, I wanna encourage your book. I'm gonna, next week I decide, I'm gonna share with you the three books I'm reading. You'll hear more about it next week, but His Needs and Her Needs, I'm reading that one right now. I wanna talk about understanding differences. This has been an eye-opener for me and a tremendous book to help us in our skills of understanding our differences and our uniquenesses and how we're made. Um, again, I'll tell you more about that next week. I'd encourage you to pick that up. But there's a verse that God has used in my life over and over again. It's 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you return to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Hey guys, guess what? God's not only the shepherd who protects us from all the attacks out there and provides the things we need materially and physically. He's the one who lives in my heart by his spirit to become the shepherd over my soul. And the damage that's taken place there over the years from experiences and whatever has impacted me and my brokenness there. And now I've got Jesus to walk with me. And I got Jesus to give me wisdom on how to uh, walk and navigate these differences. I got Jesus living inside of me to uh, give me wisdom on what to do. I got Jesus inside of me giving me the grace to be able to accept that and value that and respect it and seek it. I got Jesus to walk in the deepest part of my being inside of this mess that I created through all my life. And he's there to sort me out Kind of like Humpty Dumpty who sat on the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men could not put Humpty together again. And guess what? A lot of us in our marriages and our lives have been like Humpty and we've fallen off the wall. And we don't know how to put the pieces back together. And I'm going to tell you what. Pastors can be helpful. Counselors can be helpful. Friends can be helpful. Books can be helpful. But Jesus is the only one who can put Humpty back together again. He's the guardian and the shepherd of our souls. He lives inside of me and he lives inside of every believer to shepherd your soul and to guard it from the internal damage that the world, the devil, and the flesh can do against it. We need Jesus to teach us how to do the dance of the oneness of marriage where the two come together perfectly fitting and complementing one another to make each other better for the glory of God. So guys, that's 
what I had to share today, I guess I'll give you one last thing. Conversational starter. I was thinking I need to do that more often. It's be a great place with your mate to start today. I always like to start with these words. Hey, baby. What one area do you think we could work on that could help us better be blessed by our differences? You hear the question? I'm not saying, hey, let's go back and say, hey, what's the one area that's messing us up? No. What's the one area you think we could both address where we maybe struggle with our differences, where we can give attention to that, seek Jesus in that, and learn together how to do the dance of our differences so this thing could become a blessing to us rather than a curse? It's a conversational giver I want, starter I want to give you, but I want to point you to Jesus. He's the guardian. He's the shepherd of our souls. He's the one that can put Humpty back together again. So Lord, I, I just come to you now. I thank you again for the privilege of bringing your word, sharing with this special group of people and those online, your original design for marriage between man and woman, your purposes of us coming together as one. And Lord, how does this operate? Well, the way it starts is, Lord, we have to leave our families of origin and cleave to our mate. And Lord, I pray that you would, God, would you just teach us, Lord, if there's anybody who's where I was, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to them today. Would they stop looking at their mates' differences as inferiority or bad or something needs to be changed? And God, would you give them the grace to appreciate and value and be blessed by those differences, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.